Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, the question that immediately arises from our gospel lesson today is this. No, it's not that. It's this. <laughs> All right. Today, I actually am going to preach on the gospel lesson. But before I do that, uh, in order to do so, I want to take a closer look at the Old Testament lesson because the two are very much related and very closely related. But you have to understand and be able to put this lesson from Isaiah in the right context. Um, In context, looking at the seventh chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet in Jerusalem in the midst of Judah, the southern kingdom, prior to the time of the Babylonian captivity. Actually, he started prophesying prior to the time that the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom. So Isaiah, and he had a long time, a tenure of 80 years or so, he was prophesying before the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and overtook the northern kingdom, also known as Israel, um, and then through up through the, uh, the Assyrians' attempted invasion of Jerusalem, which failed, um, and for many years after he was. And he prophesied both of the Assyrian invasion, which he saw in his lifetime, and he also prophesied of the, uh, the Babylonian invasion and them conquering Jerusalem. But he did not live to see that himself. But King Ahaz, who was king of the southern kingdom, was nervous. Well, I think he would be, because he saw that there were these two kingdoms around him that were hostile, and the scripture tells us that they were conspiring against Judah, the southern kingdom. And those two nations are Syria and the northern kingdom, Israel. So they were, they were contending against him, King Ahaz was afraid, as were the people of Judah. And actually, Ahaz was trying to make alliances with worldly leaders. And God sent Isaiah to Ahaz to let him know that he need not fear, but only to trust in God. That leads us to this lesson that we started in Isaiah, which is, uh, begins in the 10th, 10th chapter, I mean, the, the 10th verse of the 7th chapter. And I want to read this and go through this here. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now this, don't misunderstand. Ahaz is not really a pious and humble person who says, oh no, I'm not going to put the Lord God to the test. He's actually more of an unbelieving spirit that says, I'm not really interested in what the Lord God has to say. That's more what's going on. There's a false sense of humility and piety in this. He's not really interested. And so the Lord said, speaking through uh, Isaiah, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Notice that this is directed not just to Ahaz. Who is this directed to? O house of David. Ahaz is the representative of the house of David, but this is directed to all of the house of David. Isaiah continues, and this is the, this is the verse 14, which is very familiar to us all. Therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the context of this passage, we may not understand exactly that this refers to the Messiah. I had someone ask me that this week. Well, wait a minute. How do you know, if you're just looking at Isaiah, how do you know that refers to the Messiah? Well, fortunately, we have it on Matthew's word, uh, God's word recorded in Matthew 1, that this verse refers exactly to the Messiah. This is precisely the Messiah that verse 14 refers to. And besides, it is a sign. Sometimes uh, uh, this It's not much of an issue here among us, but there have been uh, liberal branches of the Christian church that have denied the uh, virgin birth. Well, it's not much of a sign, is it, if a woman gets pregnant and has a child? I mean, it's happening every day. But for a virgin to conceive, well, that is a sign. So that was a sign that would be given. All right, verse 15 says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now this creates confusion because it doesn't seem to tie directly into Christ. Like verse 14, verse 15, it seems like there's a split there. Well, there are some different ways of viewing this among reputable scholars, even among Lutherans, there's some disagreement about how exactly do you understand the transition between 14, 15, and 16 uh, in Isaiah. Um, One school of thought would be that in verse 15, this is referring to Isaiah's son, his second son, which we'll read about in Isaiah chapter 8. And this is a catchy name, if you know anyone's looking for a biblical name, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. So if you have a friend or something, I mean, we have a number of people on our prayer list who are pregnant now, but if you know of someone who's looking for, for a name for their child and they're looking for a biblical name, just send them to Isaiah 8, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. So, but that's one interpretation, is this is referring to that son. So there's a break there. Another is just that it's referring to a child, it's referring to the age of, of birth to, um, uh, to a young child, to a toddler. It's, it's basically, it's saying within a short period of time, these things will happen. Well, what things? Well, the says, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Who were the two kings that Ahaz dreaded? Well, it was the king of Syria and the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, because they were conspiring against his kingdom, which was the southern kingdom. So he dreaded them. And Isaiah is saying, don't worry about that. Within a very short period of time, they will be deserted. They will be wiped out. But the third way of understanding this is um, that verse 14 is referring to Jesus and the Messiah coming in relative poverty. Because to eat curds and honey is to like eat provisional food. It's like just whatever is available. So it's a way of referencing poverty. So, you know, I don't favor that view because then when you get to verse 16, it doesn't make sense because it says before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. I think that it's better to have a split right here between 15 and 16 because, uh, sorry, between 14 and 15, because verse 15 and 16 are speaking of an immediate prophecy that will be fulfilled in Ahaz's day. So again, to go back to this question, Ahaz pretends to be humble. Oh no, I won't ask a sign. 
Really, because I don't really care what God has to say. That's kind of what Ahaz is saying. And God speaks through Isaiah and says, look, I'm going to give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. That sign will be given, but not now. Then I'm going to give Ahaz a sign that he will see in his own day, which is that within a year and a half, uh, these two king kingdoms that you're afraid of, they'll be wiped out. And it'll be just the Assyrians. And of course, that goes on then to verse 17. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such a day as have not has has not sorry such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria Isaiah prophesied that the Assyrians would come upon the Syrians and the northern kingdom and conquer them both and of course that is exactly what happened and it happened within a short time as was prophesied all right, now with this context of Isaiah 7, 14, we can turn to our gospel lesson to a passage that is familiar to us because we hear it often and read it often. The prophecy of Isaiah, which will now come to pass, which is from seven fourteen, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man, a righteous man. He was a keeper of the law. He and Mary were betrothed. That means that they were married. I know I've talked about this before, but in, in, the, uh, in that day, to be betrothed meant that you had taken your wedding vows and you were essentially married, although you lived apart for a period of time. If you were a widow, it'd be 30 days. If, you were, um, if it was a, a, the, your first marriage, then it would be a year, usually a year or something like that. It could be more or less. But on the, when, when, at the end of that year, the groom and his friends, groomsmen would go and collect the bride and bring her into the house and they'd have a party and then, then that would be, you know, they would have a, a banquet or whatever and then that would be the wedding day. But there were no more exchanging of vows. The vows have already been exchanged a year ago. Well, she's in that period of time. And she's discovered to be with child. Joseph says, "Mm, I know that it wasn't me. Right? Now, he's a just man. Joseph is a just man. What does that mean? That means that he loves God and loves God's law. Now, he's also a compassionate man. And he doesn't want to see Mary suffer. The punishment for adultery, which is what is implied here, would be, um, it could be a number of things. It could be stoned to death, you know, being stoned to death. But it's his love for God's law that causes him to say the best thing to do is to put her aside. And I'll do it discreetly, in, you know, out of my compassion toward her. This isn't a a wrong reasoning that he has, but this is the limits of the law. This is where the law ultimately takes us. The law does not save us. You see, you have this picture of the gospel inside this very sequence of events that Joseph takes the law to its logical conclusion and to its end, which is to put her aside. 
So the word of the angel coming to him as he's considering these things is a gospel word to him. As he considered these things, an angel came to him in a dream. And notice the angel said, Joseph, and how did the angel address Joseph? Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So we see in the time of King Ahaz, God gave a sign to the house of David, and King Ahaz rejected that sign. But in the time of Jesus' incarnation, God gave a sign to the house of David, to Joseph and to Mary, and they received it in faith and in trust. And Joseph received Jesus as his son. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus, by the way, means that God saves. Jehovah saves. That's what the name means. Joseph stood as a representative of the house of David and received the sign of Emmanuel. He took Mary as his wife. He raised Jesus as his son. The sign was received in faith, and it was received for his faith. It built his faith. Likewise, we look back on the birth of Christ, and we receive it as a sign. We receive in faith this sign. We receive it in faith and we receive it for our faith. Now, there are some instances in Scripture where seeking a sign is criticized. For example, you could uh, look at the, when the scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign and he responded to them saying, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Nevertheless, God has given us many signs in order to increase our faith. And John says in the 20th chapter of his gospel, this is toward the end of his gospel, he's recorded all of these wonderful doings of Jesus Christ in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. And he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why he has given us these signs, so that we would see him, so that we would turn in faith and believe. And why? Why? Just so that we could be believers. No, so that by believing you may have life, as John says. That's what we have. In our belief and trust in Christ, we have life in his name. He gives us forgiveness. We have in the sacrament forgiveness of our sins that he gives us. That and why? So that we may receive life. And so we receive it with thanks. Thanks be to God who works these signs for the building up of our faith. We look back on Joseph and we see in him a model. He didn't forsake God's law, but he saw the limits of it. 
And likewise, we do the same when we look and we say, as the tax collector, we confess our faith to God. And we say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I see the limits of the law. It is my condemnation. But thanks be to God that the gospel breaks forth, that in Christ, he knew him who knew no sin to be sin for us, for us, for you, for each of you, he has done that. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.